This is Friends Who Talk About Money from John Hancock, a show where we take on the money taboo and celebrate the power of financial conversations in all their honest, awkward, and inspirational glory. I'm your host, Claire Wasserman, writer, career coach, and financial advocate. Personal savings rates are hitting a record high as many people face an uncertain financial future as a result of the pandemic. The importance of having a solid savings stash has kept many from their routine spending habits and is ultimately altering people's relationship with money. On this episode, best friends and former roommates Molly and Ashley share two tales of financial transformations, both prompted by New York City quarantine exactly a year ago. They reflect on their financial life pre-pandemic, discuss their shift in money mindsets, and consider how to sustain new financial behaviors well beyond the pandemic. I also chat with money coach and founder of The Frugal Feminista, Kara Stevens, about how to reconnect with your finances using a healing mentality. Time to talk money. Hey, Molly. Hey, Ashley. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much, Claire. I would like to know everything uh, about you both. So let's start with you, Molly. Uh, How old are you? Where do you live? And how do you know Ashley? Yeah, so I'm 31. I live in New York City, and Ashley and I um, met uh, through friends of friends. My best friend from college and her best friend from college were also best friends. Um, So we met as adults, and then we lived together for two years and are still friends. Ashley, would you agree with all that? I would agree with all of that. Slight change. I am 32. I live (laughs) in New York City, um, work in marketing. And yeah, Molly and I have been friends for, gosh, probably eight years now and live together for two years. We're going to talk about pandemic stuff in just a minute. Um, But before the pandemic hit, I want to know about your lifestyle. Uh, So Molly, what what was a typical week like for you? Um, In New York, um, I think, you know, it was work during the day and then often happy hours, workout class, um, you know, just going to the store, getting wine, that kind of thing, not really paying attention much to the financial aspect behind it, just kind of swiping your credit card. And that was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what about you, Ashley? I would totally agree. Um, I would say definitely had the work hard, play hard mentality going on. Um, I worked a lot during the day. And then at night, I loved going to happy hours, loved going out to dinner, loved ordering in. As much as I also loved cooking, but with weird ingredients, so definitely didn't put a whole lot of thought behind what I was spending. Yeah, what what were you spending? Would you say what what was your financial situation before the the pandemic? So before the pandemic, I actually was in about forty thousand dollars of credit card debt, um, which was a really hard pill to swallow on a daily basis. And, you know, I can definitely attribute it to my just like lack of paying attention to what I was doing and wanting to never say no to anything. Molly can probably attest to this. I was probably the most swipe happy out of all of our friends. Definitely. (laughs) And the most extroverted. I'm much more introverted and and I need my time in my apartment. Um, But Ashley definitely was never one to say no and always was down to do anything. I definitely um, was similar in the sense that I didn't really pay attention, but I would get anxious when my credit card 
would go up too high. So then I would back off. I never had any credit card debt and always made sure to pay that down. You know, I still was able to, you know, go out and do things, but I tried to definitely cut back when I saw that it was getting to a number that I wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Molly definitely mm-hmm. thought about it a little bit more, whereas I was so used to seeing high balances on my credit card statements that I just was kind of like, what's another 50 bucks? What's another 100 bucks? I'm already at, you know, $30,000 on my MX, which was in retrospect a terrible choice to make, but she definitely, uh, was a little bit more cognizant of what she was doing. Mm-hmm. Ah, mm-hmm. Oh, the pandemic. Okay. So we're <laughs> going to talk about that now. Um, changed everything. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know it changed everything financially, but professionally for, for you, what what happened there? Did, did either of you lose your jobs? I did. Yeah. So I um, worked in meetings and events. I've been in events my entire career. Um, and I was fortunate my company had laid off and furloughed about 400 people in April and I was still on um, and I worked through August and then I was furloughed at that point um, and still am unemployed. So it changed a lot of things and perspectives for me for sure. Let's talk a little bit about those yeah. perspectives. Yeah. What what has changed? Um, okay. So I initially, uh, my parents live in Florida and I had a trip planned on March 12th and decided to get on the flight and packed for five days and I was there for three months. So that was a, you know, it was a blessing in disguise. It was so nice to spend the time with my family and I also wasn't spending any money. So I was able to save and I was still getting a paycheck. You know, my only expense was rent that we were still paying. We were still living together at this point. We had decided prior to the pandemic um, that, you know, we were like, we're 30, let's, it's time to live alone. So I'd actually signed a lease already. Um, so I knew that I had an apartment and I had to move during the pandemic as well. Then I ended up coming back in May. I was still working, but I really wasn't spending much money at all. And then when I did get furloughed, I was paid out for my vacation days, which was huge because I had about four weeks. Um, so that, kind of went right to savings. And my company also gave us a stipend of $1,000 a month um, for five months, and they were paying for healthcare. So I was still kind of making money at this point, which was interesting that I didn't have a job. I was also collecting unemployment. So in the time, I've kind of now figured out, okay, I also negotiated my rent down. So at this point, I need to make sure I can pay my rent. And then I still don't want to be dipping into my savings. And I haven't dipped into my savings yet. I've been living off of basically my unemployment and um, the money that, you know, the stipend and that kind of thing. And now, you know, we we go to dinner once a week and that's, and then I just buy groceries and those are kind of my only expenses unless I do something different. Um, so I'm really not spending that much money anymore. So it's just a totally different dynamic than it was prior. Yeah, Ashley. Okay. So when Molly is in Florida, I yes. la- I'm just like sort of laughing to myself about packing for five days and staying for three months. Yeah. Was my dad kept being like, do you need some new pants? Like, yeah. do you want to an outfit? I sent her a few packages um, okay. because of the stuff from her apartment. Yeah. Because you couldn't buy anything at that point because the supply chain was so delayed. Mm-hmm. So it was a mess. I sent you, like, I think, underwear, pants, pajamas, yep. some toiletries, a few different, yep. a few different, uh, trips to the post office Dropbox. <laughs> so Ashley, you were so you were effectively alone in the apartment. I was. I was. And as we mentioned um, a little bit before, I am very extroverted. So it was pretty tough for me. I decided after two weeks to go stay with my parents in Connecticut. And 
it was great at first, but also really challenging because I went from having all of this freedom. I could do everything in addition to kind of dealing with the pandemic and the emotional toll of that to suddenly being back in my childhood home. And, uh, you know, I love my parents. They're absolutely wonderful people. They are so generous for having me for nine months. But it was just a totally different situation than I saw myself in from the time that Molly and I had our conversation about getting our own apartments. Nine months. Yes. <laughs> nine months. Did you pack for nine months? Um. So eventually, yes, because I ended up going home around March, the, like the end of March, maybe March 28th, let's call it. And was thinking I'd be there for two weeks. I was like, COVID will be done in two weeks. We'll all be back at restaurants. No big deal. And I happened to be talking to a friend of mine. And he said to me, Ashley, you need to pack up because you're never going to sleep in your apartment again. And I was like, you're crazy. That's not going to happen. Lo and behold, four months later, my dad and I drove a U-Haul into the city, packed up all of my stuff and drove back out to Connecticut with no, uh, no end in sight. Did they know? Did they know that you were in so much credit card debt? No, they didn't. Which they and they still don't to this day. So my parents are great savers. They really tried to instill really good money habits in me. I just they I didn't take to them, which I wish that I did. But I have always kind of been this this way, and they had no idea that I was. They they think I saved all of that money. Because I was I was ashamed to tell them, frankly. Like I had this vivid memory of my dad telling me when I was younger, we were fighting over me spending too much money at Abercrombie or something. <laughs> and I have this vivid memory of my dad saying to me, One day when you're an adult, you're gonna call me and tell me you're twenty thousand dollars in credit card debt and I'm not gonna know how to help you. Uh... And it was also more like not even so much I'm not gonna know how to help you, but more like you, you know, you got yourself into this mess, you have to get yourself out of it. Wow. Okay. And, and you know, you're certainly not the only one. A lot of yeah. people listening are probably nodding, nodding their head, but you paid it down or yeah. Tell me, tell me about your finances now and, and how the pandemic has affected the way that you, you know, your relationship with, with money. Yeah, totally. So I, you know, after having the sort of emotional panic of moving back in with my parents at 31 years old, I, took it upon myself again after two weeks of like drinking a bottle of wine a night and crying to um to really think about the opportunity that I had ahead of me and how you know I had kind of toyed with the idea of if it gets really bad which it was really bad my my debt I mean I would move home and you know eventually not figure out something to tell my parents for why I was moving home and I kind of realized in maybe April of last year like this opportunity has presented itself to me. You kind of have a get out of jail free card if you just hunker down and don't spend anything for the next several months. And that's exactly what I did. I made a spreadsheet, um, you know, that tracked the balances of my credit card, both my credit cards really carefully. I paid off one of them that was a little bit lower. And then I tackled the bigger one and saved a little bit of money at the same time. I was really careful to save my bonus from 2019 because I wanted to make sure I would have enough to move in on my own. So I always had somewhat of a buffer. But I I wanted to kind of keep that and have that sort of rainy day emergency fund while paying all of my debts down. Molly, I, I know that you you were more of a saver. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do you find, though, that your relationship with money has changed because of COVID? Definitely. I am scared now and I want to make sure that I always have a good kind of nest egg, if you will, in my savings just in case, God forbid, especially not having a job right now. I 
want to make sure that there's something there that I can support myself, you know, at 31 to to still be able to be independent and on my own. And I've been living on my own since college. I was really fortunate that uh, my mom worked uh, for my school. So I was able to get two years free. So I didn't have um, student loans. So I've been on my own since I graduated. And that was really important to me to be able to keep doing that. So I think now, you know, like I said before, I haven't touched my savings and I'm still trying to continue to put money into it so that it's there just in case I'm in a situation where, you know, I really need it. Yeah. I, I guess I guess my question is when we all go, quote, back to normal and those yeah. I don't want to say those temptations are there, right? Because it's it's just life and wanting to live life to to the fullest. But totally. What do you think you'll you'll do then? And you know, hopefully you'll be, I guess, employed then. Or how how can you? What do you imagine your relationship to money will be once things go back to quote normal? Yeah, it's an interesting question too because when I was in Florida and I, you know, I bought groceries once and like (laughs) I was like, oh man, something's hitting my credit card. And then when I moved, when I came back to the city, I was in this new apartment and needed all these new things. And all of a sudden, I had spent two thousand dollars, and I got really nervous because I just hadn't been spending money. I had the money to pay the, my credit card bill off, but just because you know, seeing that money go up was nerve-wracking. And I think it's going to take some time before I'm comfortable with that again and staying in that balance of you know, making sure that I'm not overdoing it, but still living my life because I'm here and I want to be in New York. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I think that whether it's cognizant or not, we are all spending way less. I mean, for me, again, being extroverted, an opportunist in that sense, if something pops up, I'm always down to do it. But I think there's less opportunities popping up now. And that's in turn making me a little bit more cognizant of what I'm spending and and really what I'm not spending. So I think that as things start to go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that eventually looks like, I think we'll, we'll probably carry this sort of sticker shock with us of going from spending no money to you know, having to spend money again. What do you think uh, you're going to do with your credit cards? <laughs> um, so I'm fully paid off now, which is really great. Did you celebrate? Um, kind of, it was, it was kind of anticlimactic because I was still at my parents' house once I finally submitted that last payment. And a couple of my friends like reached out, obviously they knew it. we called it zero debt day. So they, um, they knew about it and, you know, we're, we're really congratulatory. And then immediately though, again, I'm just the way that I am the second that it was all paid off. I was like, okay, now it's time for me to move back into the city, get a new apartment. I need to furnish the apartment. And at that point I, I had had enough savings that it wasn't like, I was $5,000 in debt again. I was able to pay it off with every purchase. Friends Who Talk About Money is brought to you by John Hancock. We understand that financial conversations can get complicated, but whether you're talking about insurance, retirement, investing, or simply looking for some financial guidance, John Hancock is here to help make it a little easier. You both seem really candid uh, about money. Is had you all talked about money before? As Has that been part of your conversations? Not really. I think I'm, you know, when I was up for a promotion or, or things like this, I would definitely ask questions on like, you know, negotiation and stuff like that. But I'm in different, in different industries. So it's, we don't really compare money in that sense. But I think now, much more so we're talking about, you know, they know that if I'm uncomfortable, you know, if I've spent too much that week, I say I don't want to spend money, you know, I'm I'm not going to come and they understand that now. 
And, you know, one of our other friends was getting a new job and we were talking about her benefits and how that played into her total compensation and, you know, kind of helping her through that as well. So I think we're all a lot more open about it than we ever have been before. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Molly and I had to cover some some topics of our own financial lives as we moved in together and we had to make sure, you know, do we need a guarantor? Do we not? How much rent can we afford together? What's out of our budget? What's in our budget, et cetera. But we really didn't talk a ton about it. I mean, Molly knew that I had some debt, but she didn't didn't know the number. And I remember we were sitting on our couch one day (laughs) and she was asking me, she was like, well, is it 10,000? Is it 15,000? Is, is it 20,000? And I said, she is. And I said, I, I said yes to over 20,000. And she looked at me and just deadpan was like, what did you buy? And I had no idea. I was like, I don't even know how, what to tell you what I bought. Um, so she knew it was there. But I mean, I was really nervous as it came to looking for apartments, which I don't know if I ever really expressed to Molly because my credit score was much lower than it is now. I had all this debt. I knew they were going to pull a whole credit report on me. And there was definitely a question in my mind as to whether or not I would be able to get what I wanted. And I don't know if I ever fully expressed that to, to Molly and our other friends. Do either of you have new financial fears? I don't know if I have fears so much as I just... Well, I let me caveat that. My fear is falling back into the same patterns that I used to be in and finding myself in debt again. But again, I think I'm just much more cognizant of how long it took me to pay that off and that realistically, there's never going to be another time where I can move home with my parents for nine months and not have any expenses. So I think a fear is definitely falling into old habits. Um, but I'm also, I'm also counteracting that with this year, I set up a savings plan for myself. So I have automatic transfers into my bank account, my savings account every Friday to make sure that like, I have enough money to cover any potential situation that I could, maybe not any potential situation that I could encounter, but a lot of potential situations. Um, this year I have it set up to, so by the end of the year, I'll have 5,000 additional dollars saved. And then next year I'm going to set it up. So I'll have 10,000, another 10,000. Amazing. Amazing. And, and this, this is because of COVID. That's what motivated you to do this? Yeah, I think it was because of COVID and just learning what I learned from paying off my debt. It's really like COVID is a once in a lifetime, I don't want to say opportunity, but a once in a lifetime situation that we've all been faced with. And it's been really, really challenging and absolutely devastating. But I think that... I I always try to look for the silver lining in a situation. And I think it gave me this opportunity to spend time with my parents and in that time pay off my debts. And I probably won't ever have this exact same situation again. So I just think that it's taught me I need to be more prepared. Mm -hmm. Molly, do you have any new financial fears? Yeah, definitely. I'm more of like a long-term So not having a 401k since August has been stressing me out. And obviously, you know, I can – Hopefully, when I get a new job and they're, you know, they'll have a match or something like that um, to kind of build that back up. But even just thinking, oh my God, like I'm now I'm so far behind because I haven't been putting money into a 401k. Um, And also, I just think, you know, just being, just having that extra layer of fear that, you know, this can happen and and I'm unemployed and I don't know how long it's going to take for me to get a job um, is definitely fearful. So I think I'm just, now just a little more frugal 
just just out of curiosity, uh, Molly, where are you in the job search process? You know, we're still looking. <laughs> um, it's tough. I think this whole thing also has made me kind of reevaluate. Do I want to be in events? What do I want to be doing? You know, is is there a switch here? So I don't know yet, but it's a little reassuring that I'm not alone. So many people that I know that are going through the same thing. It kind of makes you feel less alone and a little more comfortable in knowing that it wasn't you. I have skills. I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing. I've gotten promoted in any every job I've been in. I'm capable. I just need to figure out what that next thing is. Well, I'm glad that we could do this if this is sort of bringing you together, if not yes, in person. It, it, it is. is. <laughs> it totally is. We, I will say we did get together two weekends ago to make the TikTok pasta. Highly recommend it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Don't make me hungry. Um, all right. Anything else you'd like to share with us? The only thing I would say in terms of the credit card debt for me was I actually had a, a friend say this to me at one point in relation to something job job related. You're never as stuck as you think you are. So even though it seems super overwhelming and daunting, you can get out of it. You just have to make a plan for yourself and all will be fine in the end. I love that. What a great way to end. Thank you, Molly. Thank you, Ashley, so much for being here. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Claire. I am so excited to have here Kara Stevens, who's a life and money coach. She has an amazing company. It's called Frugal Feminista, and it helps people transform their relationship with money. Kara is all about demolishing debt, budgeting with your values in mind, and retiring with ease. That sounds all pretty good to me. How are you doing, Kara? Thanks for being here. Uh, I'm so happy to be here, Claire. Um, and yeah, I love being able to be in that position to help women or anyone that comes around my world really understand that it is possible. So I know we just heard from Molly and Ashley, you listened to their story. And, you know, for them, the pandemic kind of acted like a financial wake-up call. You know, of course, COVID brought numerous challenges and, and anxieties, uh, but it offered both of these women an opportunity to reconnect with their finances. Uh, so you have a book. You have a book. It's called Heal Your Relationship with Money. And it's all about understanding your money why, right? And letting go of past financial dysfunction. Uh, so can you talk about these two very important subjects? Yeah, I think that a lot of us arrive at adulthood with this bucket of financial beliefs that are often muddled with fear, anxiety, um, paranoia and just feelings of despair. And we don't often know where they come from. Um, and our relationship with money is one of those things that is cultivated without us really knowing it until we realize that we have a relationship with money and it's not the one that we want. And so when you're able to really understand your money origin, where your beliefs around money come from, and you're able to really unpack them and really see if the beliefs that you have been taught or exposed to are beliefs that serve you to reach your financial goals. Um, that's when you'll be able to really reconcile your relationship with money. What do you mean by your money? Why? When I talk about your money, why I talk about why you do what you do with your money, um, what your values are when it comes to money and life in general. So a lot of us grow up thinking money is a proxy for love or money is a proxy for power or status. And we really buy into larger 
um, societal expectations about what we should do with our money or what we should um, feel about money. But when you really boil, get down to who you are and what you value, you'll begin to be able to really parse apart what society expects, perhaps what your family expects, perhaps what your religion expects, perhaps what a lot of the ways that money is gendered or it's racialized and really get down to what it means to you and then align it with the goals that you have, you'll be able to really understand that money why. Both women shared financial fears. You know, they shared anxieties uh, that they developed over the past year while their financial mindsets were shifting. So for Ashley, well, first of all, she got into almost $40,000 worth of credit card debt. So we could also talk about why that happens, right? What sort of money beliefs can contribute to that. Uh, right. But she did, you know, she was able to pay it pay it off. Of course, she still has that fear of falling back into that pattern that led her to that kind of debt. Um, well, on the other side, Molly now feels some anxiety around spending any kind of money. And that, you know, naturally comes from the fact that she's looking for work and doesn't have that steady paycheck. So first question, do you have advice uh, for all the Ashleys that are out there, you know, and resisting falling into old habits? And then I'm going to have you share some tips um, for those Mollies out there who are anxious about spending. Absolutely. Um, for Ashley, I would say is that if anything, you need to get a support system or a network so you can begin to really surround yourself with people that are in the same boat, that want to maintain a debt-free um, lifestyle, that understand some of the fears of possible slipping back into some of the old habits. But I think, especially for Ashley, it's really trusting herself to understand that she has a new financial identity. Right. I think that the larger piece of self-awareness that she might not have might not have had before that she has now is something that she will grow into. And once she begins to see that every paycheck that comes moving forward is not being spent, it's actually being used in a responsible way. She'll begin to trust herself more and continue to bolster and, and cultivate and strengthen the structures that she already has in place. Because I know she mentioned automating some of her um, savings. So she'll continue with that. Um, and actually reducing the amount of credit cards that she has access to is another way that she can allay her anxiety of falling back into some of those old habits. And I think even adopting a cash-only approach to fund money Mm -hmm. is a great way for her to not feel so restricted when it comes to um, this idea of having a credit card and falling back into financial habits. Because what I'm noticing in general between Ashley and Molly is either that you're a super saver or you're a super spender and mm -hmm. there's no range. So Ashley can feel good that she can now add to her list in terms of her financial identity, that she is both a... Uh, consistent saver and a responsible spender, right? So she can um, expand how she sees herself and look at the structures in, in, her, in her financial world that reflect that reality. With Molly, you know, what tips can you give her or to anyone else out there, you know, who are really, really anxious around spending? You, you did mention the problem of underspending. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that. Well, I think that when it comes to underspending or oversavers, there's uh, a lack of perspective on their overall financial well-being. This is considered possibly a financially traumatic experience. The the um, 
the loss of a job, I'm in the middle of a pandemic and having to go home because I know she lost a lot of her sense of independence. But having her really understand that uh, spending and overspending are not the same, right? And that money and spending, it's a necessity that allows us to actually um, meet some of our needs and meet some of our wants. So I would love for her to re- reintroduce spending into her emotional landscape as something that is a necessity and is positive. And I will also like for her to start thinking about how can she create a sinking fund um, for things that she wants to spend on. So if she knows that she has budgeted this amount of money for a need or a want, she can safely spend it. Because what I'm hearing from Molly is a lack of safety in her um, her feelings around finances because she thinks that she won't have more. But she is in her early 30s. She is going to find another job and that she has to also understand that this is a temporary situation and that her feelings will also dissipate when she's able to secure her um, next career and her next income. Okay, so let's talk about debt. Uh, Ashley admitted that a year ago, you know, she wasn't thinking twice about swiping her credit card and she had zero budget and zero savings. Um, so, you know, the pandemic was good in the sense that she was able to eliminate that debt while she was living at her parents. Um, what are steps people can take to stay out of credit card debt? How do they make sure that they don't end up in Ashley's position? There are a number of things, a number of steps that we can take to get out of credit card debt. And one of them is definitely getting in touch with having a financial ritual or a money ritual that allows you to track your spending on a daily basis and allows you also to create weekly money dates with yourself where you review your accounts, you review your transactions. I think another way for us to stay out of debt or credit card debt in general is to, like I mentioned before, adopting a cash only approach to spending. Or if you don't want to carry cash around, especially during the pandemic, adopting, uh, putting money on your own debit card and then understanding that that amount of money will be used for a certain amount of time. And once that money is done, then you have to find alternative ways to generate income, whether it means selling something or moving something from a different category in your budget. But you won't go, uh, you will not put any type of extra expenditure on your credit card. Also, just engendering your community to support you, having more money conversations with your friends, your family around how do we start building wealth amongst ourselves. So getting out of credit card debt is great. But if we actually have a, a goal with our money, that's a big goal, which includes buying your first home or buying your first real estate investment um, property, or if it means increasing your allocations for your retirement at work. When you have a specific goal for your money, it's easy to keep it out of debt because it has a particular goal um, in mind. Can you just touch on the relationship between money and emotions, you know, especially during a time right now where we we just have little control, uh, but also a lot of time to to reflect? Yeah. And I think just understanding that our emotions are a mirror to um, how we treat our money in a lot of ways and understanding that we have in 
despite this lack of control in the outside world, we actually have a lot more control than we think when it comes to how we make decisions around our money. And I think even having pauses as to understanding, wow, I'm feeling emotional about a particular experience or a particular person and understanding your money triggers or your triggers in general will allow you to offer some space between the emotion and the action in order for you to think about the larger goals around your money. And I think when we're able to tease apart what our larger goals are and keep them at the forefront of any of our financial decisions, we're able to acknowledge our emotions, but not let them control the decision that we're making. And that will allow us to not negate or dismiss our feelings, but but offer it as another experience that you're having that you do not have to be reactive to. You get to respond to it in a way that is affirming, a positive, and align with the larger goals that you have and align with your larger why. Oh, God. Kara, I love you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> I love everything you have to say, and I especially in, in the difference maybe between being reactive uh, and then being responsive, right, and figuring out what that that difference is to you and taking your time, that you do have a choice in how you feel about money. Well, Thanks, Kara. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Claire, for having me. It was great to be here. I want to extend my gratitude to Molly and Ashley for their sincerity talking about topics that are emotional and sometimes uncomfortable. And a big thanks to Kara for sharing advice on how to have a healthy relationship with your money. Be sure to check out all of the incredible money stories shared in each of our episodes and continue to encourage important financial conversations in your own lives. Thanks for listening. Talk soon. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers at the time of recording and are subject to change with market and other conditions warrant. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor shall it be interpreted or construed as, a recommendation or providing advice, impartial or otherwise, regarding any specific product or security. Unless otherwise noted, the speakers are not affiliated with John Hancock and they may have been compensated for their time.